0: Hey, it's Nick Walters again with the Industrial Hemp Growers Digest podcast, brought to you by the National Hemp Growers Cooperative. And uh, today we get to take a little kind of um, sidestep from regular hemp 101 or people that are in the industry. And I'm, I'm super tickled to be able to talk about even other opportunities about how hemp can fit in to other markets and to um, other projects and other sectors that are also very much concerned about sustainability and and ESG and a myriad of those items. And that happens to be the Renewable Natural Gas Coalition. And we have the founder and CEO, uh, Johannes Escudero, who is on the line with us here, and is going to spend some time. And we're going to talk about what uh natural gas is what is renewable natural gas and we'll talk a little bit more about why in the heck do we give a hoot whether hemp's involved in anything like that so uh, uh, with all of that as background and getting started johannes welcome thanks for joining us today well thank you so much nick
1: for the invitation to join you and uh, share our story and and really have a conversation that hopefully will provide some insight benefit pique the interest of the Industrial Hemp Growers Digest podcast listeners. So thanks again for having me, my friend.
0: Absolutely. And let me just so make sure that everybody knows uh, as a point of clarity and not as a point of personal privilege, maybe it's personal privilege, but as a clarity to do, we are really excited to have um, you be a part of our advisory board for the National Hemp Growers Co-op. And, and um, uh, this is just a, a continuation of some uh, ongoing efforts for us to be involved more and more in the energy sector we really believe that long term uh that this is is a really great way for our growers to have an ongoing market that is uh not a fad and and, and uh you know it's not going away uh that would be the the whole idea of renewable energy so it's going to do more and more of it and for us to be a part of that we can't get there on our own and we've got to have some folks bring us along and help us along and so that's why we're so glad to be a part of the efforts of the Renewable Natural Gas Coalition. So, um, so with all that love being said, uh, Johannes, tell us a little bit about, about uh, you and your background and how you came to be the founder, uh, CEO of, um, of the RNG Coalition. And then tell us more about the coalition itself sure no and and i enjoy getting to tell our story i hope
1: that it provides some inspiration for uh, your listeners including those in your audience that may relate on some level to some degree with any part of it Uh, so i am the proud son of an immigrant my mother literally sold all that she had in order to afford the airfare uh, to immigrate from Argentina to the United States uh, back in the late 70s and left all that was familiar, her family here and friends to do so for one purpose. And that was, she wanted her unborn children to have opportunities that she knew based on all the political realities and chaos that existed in Buenos Aires, um, that she knew we could only have in America And so uh, she did that, not knowing she would never return to her home country, never see many of of family members uh, outside her immediate family again. But she, in fact, got married and was very industrious, entrepreneurial, passed those genes on to my sisters and myself. And so grew up, uh, I mean, and, and when I talk about industrious, I'm talking about the epitome of resourcefulness and doing much with little, <laughs> from home scratch meals cooked three times a day to homemade clothes to she cut my hair uh, up until college and even periodically through college when I'd get home for visits. Reupholstered our family furniture. I mean, uh, we would we would scrub shampoo the carpet, including the stairwell Our two-story uh, home by hand. I mean, just, old school in in a lot of ways, but passed on an incredible work ethic and undeniably her industrious and entrepreneurial genes. And so carrying that with me, sort of trying to explore and figure out who I was professionally, uh, end up working in the state Capitol, uh, in the state assembly specifically in California, uh, and had the pleasure of working my way up serving a number of ranking members on a variety of committees as legislative director and uh, always knew that I wouldn't uh, forever don the golden handcuffs as they were referred to. I, I just had a strong desire to launch out, to start something. I didn't know what, but I came across a biogas bill, Nick, in 2010. And I was intrigued because In the legislature, there were at the time 32 different legislative issue categories, uh, energy being one of those as a subset of that renewable energy that I was particularly fond of. And in all of our legislative work, never came across biogas, had never been lobbied, and that piqued my interest, Um, particularly as I looked into the bill and realized who the author was when, where the bill had been introduced, and the fact that the author never gave his own bill a hearing in his own committee. Uh, of course, doing our due diligence, digging into um, uh, you, know, you know the politics of it all, we're able to make full sense of why that was, and I won't go into full length here, but reached out to the uh, stakeholders associated with that bill, and I think they were surprised that uh, someone was paying attention knew what the status was and thus began a relationship uh with with pioneers in what was referred to at the time as the biogas industry of course that's evolved too uh by um by by virtue of legislative and regulatory success and codifying laws um doing our our best to create a uniformity in terms of some of the etymology and, and the the references. So now we refer to biogas in that context as, as biomethane or renewable natural gas, RNG for short. So that's kind of where we got our start, Nick. And, oh, and and talking with some of those stakeholders back in 2010, my co-founder and business partner, David, and I were invited to fly out to Dallas, Texas, where we met with six or seven different stakeholders who hosted us for dinner. And as we were talking through the legislative reality in California, the status of the bill, the implications uh, for the industry, not only in California at the time, but across the country who were really relying heavily on Um, RPS policies uh, that were most aggressive in California at the time uh, for their biogas and confirmed that there was no industry representation. So there was just a tremendous opportunity there. And, And I tell you what, I'll never forget the feeling came away with. It was as if we were standing on the precipice of opportunity and looking down was not certain whether or not what we perceived to be water was in fact H2O or if it was a mirage. But I just I, the compelling drive, I think, again, the, the DNA I inherited from my mother, we we just were, were in unison at a place where we had to take the leap and find out uh, rather than comfortably living out the rest of our days with those golden handcuffs, uh, forever wondering what if and what would have happened had we taken that leap. So we took the leap. And we did that over the course of the summer break. And out of our own pockets, David and I hosted our, what became our inaugural membership lunch. And we cast a, our vision. We shared what we proposed to be a mission for the organization. And we had expected those same six or seven companies that host us for dinner several months before to show up. They did. And they didn't come alone. We had 41 companies in attendance. Wow. Wow. Um, that day and uh, over the course of the last 11 years, July 7th, we'll celebrate our 11 year anniversary as an organization. All but one of those 41 companies have joined the coalition and today we represent 366 member companies and, and that includes you know, cities, counties, uh, ports, airports, municipalities, colleges, universities too. But a 95% of all the renewable natural gas in North America is produced by our members or serviced or otherwise delivered and transported, et cetera. So um, really proud of the work we've been able to do together. If I've done anything well, Nick, it's surround myself with incredibly talented women and men. And together we're advancing our mission, our industry shared mission. We're striving towards our smart initiative. Maybe we'll get into and be able to talk a bit about that. And happy sure. to contextualize how that evolved and came to be too. Um, and and I just think that the value proposition in terms of what our industry does, and maybe we we provide a little insight for your audience as to what that is, too. Um, but you're it's your show. I don't want to get ahead of you. I'll let you know. No, ask, sir. I hey, look, <clears throat> <with
0: blanks. laughs> look, if you were boring me to death, I'd have come I'd have stepped in and started coughing or something. So don't worry about that. <laughs> so, no, no, no. This was this is really good information, and I love the the background and the whole you know entrepreneurial piece that you see an opportunity and and then you, you you jump into the middle of that you saw where there was a need and you know so many people in the hemp industry are in that same boat i um, mean mm-hmm. they understand oh my goodness the plant can do all these super duper things and we we ought to we ought to be involved in something like that because <clears throat> not only personally but also just kind of what it does for the community and you know mother earth and the rest of it th- uh, there as well so tell us for those people who are uh liberal arts background majors like me right what tell me what is what natural gas is and tell me how that differs from renewable natural gas
1: absolutely so so that's a great question um natural gas or conventional natural gas folks who are less fond of that resource you'll hear them refer to it as a fossil gas or fossil fuel, uh, harkens to the source or the origin of the uh, gas itself, right? Uh, you may have heard the term fracking, right? The F word for some people, which is short <laughs> for hydraulic fracturing. And that's just the technology that's used uh, to to penetrate the earth's soil uh, a mile deep or, or further down to tap into uh, natural gas reservoirs, right? Natural gas is essentially methane. And and it's a fossil fuel because we're talking about um, organic material in some cases. Uh, I, I, I call it not organic material, but, but fossilized fuel that's been trapped underground for however long. Um, yeah. and, and so we're accessing that. Um, Well, as I
0: like to say, and it may be the wrong way to say it, but (laughs) the way it's simplistic to me is if Adam gave it a name in Genesis, whenever it dies, it's going to give off (laughs) methane, okay? And and it's and it's and it's it's sitting around somewhere, okay? And so for the most part, it's been buried way underneath in in parts of the earth, and and uh, or it may be. Methane that you might see uh, uh, driving by a landfill somewhere, you know, and you see this, what the heck is that big pipe doing (laughs) on top of that landfill with that? That looks like a candle out there. What are those folks burning? What the heck is that? So, yeah, um, it could be any number of things, but if it dies, whenever it dies, it's giving off methane at some point in time in its its whole process. And so, um, maybe that's a simplistic answer, but that's the. No, I I like that.
1: that. I, th- I think that's illustrative for sure, and, and I think that most of the concerns that extreme environmentalists would take are with the implications, uh, albeit some of the unknown implications, of hydraulic fracturing and the impact that drilling and and penetrating that far down below the surface has on uh, underground water supply reservoirs and and other otherwise so there's there's concerns uh there but your question was what's the difference between renewable natural gas and and that conventional natural gas well renewable natural gas um is is still methane but it comes from a different source and rather than tapping limited natural resources that are far below the earth's surface we are capturing what would otherwise end up being fugitive methane emissions that would directly harm the atmosphere. We know that methane is a short of climate pollutant that's many times more potent than carbon. So we're mitigating those otherwise inevitable um environmental impacts by capturing methane from society's organic waste streams. So as you mentioned earlier landfills, wastewater treatment plants, uh diverted organic uh food waste. Uh, livestock agricultural waste, organic material as it breaks down or decomposes naturally emits methane. So our industry really steps in, and part of the value proposition that we represent uh, is is providing a improved waste management solution. Right? What are we doing with the waste we produce as a society? For a long time, Nick, we used to export. Our waste problem. And finally, countries, including China, have said enough. And it's forcing us to reconcile what are we actually going to do with the waste we produce? Um, you know, for most of us, Nick, uh, and in our case, my 11 year old pushes our green waste recycling and trash bins out to the curb once a week. And for a lot of folks, the waste that our household produces is out of sight, out of mind. It's someone else's problem. And, and there's an element of blind trust. That that or that waste matters being properly addressed, disposed of. Um, when in reality, a life cycle is just beginning, and wherever that organic waste ends up, be it in a landfill, compost facility, wastewater treatment plant, it is going to break down naturally. Methane is going to occur at some pace and at some rate, and what we do with that methane matters. And you'll hear a term called producer responsibility, and a lot of times uh regulatory bodies want to place that responsibility squarely on the manufacturer or the producer and yet as a society you and i are going and maybe buying more food than we actually eat i think we as a society should bear some responsibility in the equation um, that ultimately results in in methane emissions and so the value proposition again that our industry represents is we step in and help not just improve that waste management practice um, by diverting organics to digesters so that as that methane occurs, it can be captured and then converted. And literally we're transforming a environmental liability into a renewable energy asset. And that methane, once it's converted in condition, is being used today in great quantities uh, as renewable fuel, whether it's compressed or liquefied, as a renewable source of heat, um, and we're heating airport terminals today with RNG, um, or as, as as electricity to power uh, homes and businesses and industry. Um, and, and RNG is also not just an end use in itself; it's also a feedstock that is used to generate renewable hydrogen, sustainable aviation fuel, and, and bunker fuel uh, for marine applications too. And all of this comes back and and is sourced from the inevitable organic waste streams that you and I are producing as, as living people in society back.
0: So I mean right so you know methane happens right it's not a question of if you're going to have it or if you're not going to have it. And so so the whole part of the of the RNG coalition is why don't we make sure that we are doing the most uh, and using the and 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 embracing the fact that this methane is there, um, and let's make sure that we are giving its highest and best use, uh, so that that. Um, uh, it's we're capturing it for something positive for everybody. Uh, that whether and whether that ends up being in uh, part of the process that helps uh, put electricity in my home or my car, or whether that is is part of um, uh, fuel, or whether that is heating my home, all of these things that 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 uh, a natural gas does. The RNG coalition is all about making sure. That, that, that we get the highest and best use of, of something that is already going to occur. I mean, I might make the argument if That's I right. wanted to, to say, oh, we don't need to be doing any fracking. Okay, well, that could be a whole argument that we could have, regardless of whether I am pro or con or uh, for or against or whether it makes me freak out or whether I don't care, regardless of where I may be on the spectrum, while you and I might be having that argument, at the same time, methane's still getting produced. Uh, That's right. So it's it's still happening.
1: Right, because the apple core, the orange rind, the banana peel is going somewhere. uh, I'm conscious as soon as I'm saying that, somebody is going to reference a YouTube video with a re- newfound recipe to, to digest right what is usually um, waste. But the World Bank projects that solid waste is going to increase 70% by 2050. So the value proposition of RNG, which is immediately available, is really a no-regret solution to help improve society's response to waste and the emissions created from it. So, and look, we we wholeheartedly advocate for um, efficiency, right? We must reduce, reuse and recycle wherever possible, but we also need solutions for the inevitable uh, or inedible food waste, uh, for manure, municipal solid waste and wastewater. So again, we're talking about RNG produced from avoided emissions at society's waste streams and, and redeeming the energy value from those emissions. Uh, which results in the lowest life cycle carbon intensity uh, of any clean energy source available today. So really RNG helps and goes a long way to decarbonize our energy, our economy, to combat climate change. Um, And look, everything we do at the end of the day is all about people. Why do we care about the environment? Why do we care about clean air? Why do we care about decarbonizing our existing energy infrastructure? It's because people, we want quality of life and sustained quality and improved quality of life for for the people that populate the planet, right? And that really kind of ties back to our mission, which is inextricably linked with our why. And, and that's why we do what we do. It's we advocate and educate for sustainable development, deployment, and utilization of renewable natural gas. Why? So that not just present, but future generations next, like our children and grandchildren and their kids will have access to domestic, renewable, clean fuel and energy. Um, so that's why we do what we do.
0: Absolutely. <clears throat> and that's a great way to when we talk about those feedstocks, that it's not just a waste stream, but it also for our um purposes is actually growing for energy. So the thing that we love about the fact of, of being involved in RNG and certainly are already involved in renewable natural gas with uh, one project that is absolutely on the books and we're moving toward every day. Plus, we've got some more in the pipeline. And and we know uh, uh, as we continue to work within the coalition, uh, we'll find, we believe, even more opportunities for, for hemp to be a part of the feedstock uh, to be used in a um, uh, that methane production to be able to turn it into that gas because hemp has got about a 70 percent uh, methane that it gives off in a gasification process. And then in addition to that, to know that we could be planting it and it could be remediating the soil and sucking up carbon because hemp loves, loves, loves carbon. And because it's an annual crop that could grow as well in about you know uh, uh, 120 to 90 days, somewhere in that neighborhood, then then this is an ongoing opportunity for not only revenue, for our uh, growers because through carbon credits and through other projects as well too. But but um, uh, it, it fits directly into not only having to be a waste stream but also as being able to be grown specifically for energy use uh, and how all of that ties in. That's one of the things that really excites us about being a part of the coalition. And it's a part of- I, our, echo, that. That. I echo
1: that wholeheartedly, Nick. And I think one of the things, one of the many aspects that excite us about the prospect of working together with you uh, and your cooperative and and those directly growing hemp is, as as you say, uh, the stalks and the leaves, right? It's not a source of food per se. And so it represents a real valuable purpose-grown crop that I think regulatory agencies would support because of the multifaceted benefits that you've already outlined. Right. that do not include impact to the cost of corn, for example, or, or, or rice or, or some other commodity. So.
0: Right. Or as we call it, a dual crop in those places where, yeah. you know, the hemp grains and seeds that are at the top of the hemp plant that are that are so valuable for um, uh, you know all the omega threes and all the good things that you can get from part of that. That that um, uh, of course we're not even talking about anything whatsoever to do with CBD. We're just talking about the grains that can be used and and how valuable those are. Our we're not we don't have any planned thoughts whatsoever of putting those seeds into um, into the biodigester. We want to take those off the top. But then what are we doing with the rest of the stalk? And so the rest of the stalk. Um, one, of course, we know it's got a kajillion uses, but one of those uses about coming for energy. Uh, and Really what a cool idea that that would be for us to uh, be able to know there's even additional opportunities for that for for our growers, um, because the processing as we are figuring out thus far, and we're in some uncharted water as we're figuring this stuff out, but, um, oh, and we got some good teams of people that are helping us uh, navigate that. But, but part of that is, um, uh knowing that we don't have to do a whole lot of processing to the stalks themselves. They can yeah, be kind of chopped up and put into the mix right alongside that apple core and that baby diaper and and that sludge <laughs> from the you right. know from the from the uh uh municipal uh you know uh sewage yeah, treatment we, facility, right? I mean we don't have to get adjust, gross, but, right but yeah. <laughs> Right, oh, so I mean it's um it's in it's in the gumbo pot <clears throat> because I'm I'm calling you today from Louisiana, so I guess that well I'll I'll, I'll keep gumbo on my mind right there, and well, so it's well, a, it's if, a gumbo pot of stuff. If we're using gumbo as a metaphor, then you could argue the hemp stock
1: uh, and leaves is the lanyard
0: the boy. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's going to be, we're not, we, we have never thought that that hemp is going to be the sole only source of, of the, um, uh, of, of the, of the feedstock to be able to make, you know, uh, uh, the syngas to the methane to the, you know, all of those pieces and parts that end up being the biogas and ends up being the RNG. We're not, we're not, you know, there's not enough hemp we, we couldn't grow enough to get to, to, to make it happen. but it is the it is the above and beyond and the extra part of all of that that gets to be done. So that's what's really cool too. So well and, and that's the beautiful thing
1: about the entire possibility here that the value chain that the link in the value chain that that hemp represents, right Even Rng in and of itself, There's far more demand for it than there is supply available today. And as we're looking to the future, even once we achieve our smart initiative and succeed in capturing and converting all methane produced from society's waste stream, there's still not going to be enough RNG to serve as a single solution uh, to provide the whole world's energy. Uh, but RNG is a critical part of our energy future and our energy transition, and, and we really need a diverse portfolio of solutions to make that transition to cleaner, more affordable, immediately accessible energy possible. So um, through the combined use of complementary technologies and solutions, we'll get there. And you know, we we'll talk about meeting current demand. There's enough RNG available that can be produced from organic waste, not including hemp, to replace 13% of total gas demand in the United States. Now, for context, that's enough RNG to supply and decarbonize 100% of current commercial gas demand nationwide, or 75% of current residential demand, or 45% of industrial demand. So it's not an insignificant amount. And you could make the case that as our dependence on fossil fuels decreases, and as um, renewable energy production from all sources, including intermittents, increases that that 13% of RNG, um, that piece of the pie actually grows. So as the the total size of the pie decreases. So we're excited about that and I think um, you know, hemp is, is a valuable waste stream that has, it's not, not a waste in and of itself, it provides many benefits, and, and, but the added benefit of co-digesting it um, with some other feedstocks uh, is really exciting. So
0: absolutely. Well, tell us about this uh, you, we talked about your smart initiative, and so uh, we're, we're winding down our, our, our allotted time here. I know you were a busy sure. a busy dude with a lot of <coughs> excuse me stuff to do, but, but talk to us about the smart initiative and, and what that's all about. Absolutely. And I think to appreciate what the Smart Initiative represents, let me
1: contextualize it a bit and provide a little bit of historical background in terms of how far we've come as an industry in a fairly short amount of time from a, a development standpoint. So I mentioned we coalesced the industry, founded the RNG Coalition in July of 2011, but the industry had already been hard at work. Uh, in the United States for close to 30 years. In fact, as best as we can tell, the very first RNG facility was developed in 1982. That's at the Fresh Kills Landfill on Staten Island, New York. Incidentally, that is still operating today and successfully providing renewable natural gas to thousands of satisfied customers in the Northeast. Um, But that said, between 1982 and our founding 30 years later, only 31 additional RNG facilities were developed. So that's a meager annual project development average of one per year. That's enough projects to stay below anyone's radar. And, and consequently, virtually no one outside the small industry knew what RNG was back in 2011, where it came from, how it could be used, etc. So in coalescing, I mentioned we had 40 companies show up at our inaugural membership lunch, and they didn't all join right away. Um, some of those companies joined in, in subsequent years. But we started with a solid base uh, with those six or eight companies and cast a vision to pass legislation that would make some marketplace corrections in California. And we estimate it would take three to five years. But uh, being incredibly hungry as we are and with much to prove, especially right out of the gate, Um, we were able to pass Assembly Bill 1900 in California, Governor Jerry Brown fixed his signature to it, making it law in our first year of existence. So that put us on the map, Um, that that helped us to garner a lot of attention, not just across the state, but across the country and enable us to further coalesce um, and and peak interest um, in terms of attracting stakeholders to the industry. Um, And so we were able to quadruple the project development average from one to four years by the year 2015, just four and a half years um, into, the, into the work. So at our end of year conference in 2015, we challenged our members and said, we, we not only can do more, we must do more. And we said, if we did our job as a coalition through effective advocacy and education, we'd create market opportunities that would allow the industry to double the number of projects that were operating at the time. At the time, there were 47, so we challenged our members to help realize 100 RNG facilities by the year 2025, and and a lot of folks thought that was aggressive considering it took 30 years to build 31 projects, and yes, we'd built 16 in the last four and a half, but to build 53 in the next 10. Uh, But very proud to say that uh, collectively as an industry, we eclipsed that 2025 benchmark five and a half years ahead of schedule and we brought our 100th facility online in july of 2019 so that gave us an opportunity to really reflect to assess uh, where we were at as an organization and industry and what we really could and should be doing uh, for the environment and economy with the value proposition that our industry holds and so at our december conference end of 2019 we announced our smart initiative And SMART is an acronym for Sustainable Methane Abatement and Recycling Timeline, and as part of that, we've identified more than 43,000 aggregated organic waste sites across North America. That's 4,400 landfills, that's 19,000 large farms, 20,000 wastewater treatment, uh, food waste lagoon facilities, and agriculture operations. not to mention more than 140 million tons of food that's wasted every year. And and our SMART initiative is is our effort to capture and control methane produced from those sites by the mid-century point. And so we've set preliminary benchmarks for 2025, for 2030 and 2040, and we're well on our way and expect to ultimately achieve our SMART initiative well in advance of 2050. But but that's where we're at. That's what we're focused on. That's what Our organization, our membership, our leadership advisory boards, our staff are focused on on a daily basis. We've got 18 full time staff working to advance our shared industry mission and to achieve our smart initiative. And we certainly couldn't do it alone. Um, The the otherwise inevitable impacts on the environment and our economy. Really require us to to maintain due diligence here, and and couldn't be more proud of the work that we've done. But we can only be proud to the extent we're looking backwards Nick. We've got a lot of work ahead of us, and that's what's
0: <laughs> there. At. You go, there you go. <clears throat> that's terrific. That's terrific. Well, you know, um, uh, I always say for for the way I do things, I'd rather be lucky than good but uh, it sounds to me like you've been good and good. And uh, uh, on, on top of all that, you've, you've, you saw an opportunity uh, early on, you and David and other, uh, having more folks as a be a part of the team. And um, uh, it's really great, uh, the things that you're doing and, and we're glad to be a part of it as well. So thank you so much. Hey, if folks wanna learn more about um, the RNG Coalition and wanna educate themselves more on renewable natural gas, how, how will folks get in touch? How can they learn more? So throw out your website and other good stuff. I appreciate that. Thank you, Nick. I would invite you to visit
1: rngcoalition.com. And on our website, we have an education and resource page where there is an abundance, a treasure trove of free, accessible, and downloadable information that you can reference, that you can digest to whatever extent you have interest um and use that as a basis to to educate yourself on all things relevant related to rng and and that said i would also like to extend an invitation for your audience to reach out to our our team of staff we're a phone call email away Uh, always looking to connect with folks that are wanting to better understand renewable natural gas whether that's from a personal vested uh, interest or from a business perspective and uh, we look forward to the prospect of Uh, continuing our conversation, Nick, and working together more closely with your industry and capitalizing on the incredible synergies that exist.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Johannes Escudero with the Renewable Natural Gas Coalition, yet another awesome guest for our Industrial Hemp Growers Digest podcast. Look, if you also want to know more about the uh, National Hemp Growers Cooperative, we would uh, also ask that you might check out our website, at nationalhempcoop.us. Until next time, thanks for joining. This podcast produced and
1: distributed by MWB Studios.